Hello and welcome back to another episode of the China Path podcast. This is James Scullin from the Australia-China Business Council. On this episode, I'm joined by Raymond Ng from Accestra as we look at navigating China's import regulations. We discuss the most common reasons why goods get rejected at customs, such as labeling, ingredient checks, and non-compliance testing. We discuss the new draft legislation on animal testing requirements, how individual ports function uniquely, how to avoid trademark squatters, and the impact the U.S.-China trade war is having on the ground with tariffs and U.S. market presence. Raymond Ng is a regulatory affairs consultant at Accestra and has extensive knowledge on Chinese food and beverage, cosmetics, chemicals, import and export regulations. His research specializes in China's national standards and the impact it has on international businesses. He has vast insight and practical experience in dealing with Chinese market access requirements and has accumulated a successful track record with supporting international exporters with market entry into China. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here in Shanghai with Raymond Ng from um, Accestra Consulting. Um, Raymond, thanks a lot for dropping by to the podcast. Thank you, my pleasure. Um, so, Raymond, what is Accestra Consulting, and and what are you doing over here in China? Yeah, um, at Accestra, we assist Australian exporters with making sure that their products meet the China requirements. Okay. So, the very first question a lot of the clients ask us is, does my product have market access to China?、Mm. So our key role is to hold the hand of the exporter and to guide them through the requirements for their product. Okay. And why is this so important? It's because every product have its unique set of requirements and rules. So it needs to really know what are the requirements for my product and what are the next steps. So、okay. we help with that.、Um, and 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 what's the benefit to you being on the ground here in China?、Uh, Obviously, there's so much evolving with regulations. Like, how important is it that you're over here permanently? Yeah, actually, it's 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 very key to be on the ground with how China evolves and and the policy is always changing, and like for us to be on the ground to arrange the time to meet. Uh, official experts and to participate in regulation conferences, which are organised by the government,、mm. um, and stay updated so that we can share with our clients like how does this impact your products and your market access、okay. going forward.、Um, and so, what industries do your clients come from?、Um, the industries、um, uh, they come from、uh, ranges from、um, uh, food and beverage.、Uh, mainly, I, I work in food and beverage、uh, focus, but Accestra also helps with cosmetics,、uh, pharmaceutical, and chemical chemical products as well.、Mm. And 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 how long has Accestra been around for? Yeah, so um, um, our team has been in the industry for around ten years. Okay,、uh, a lot of our Um, um, colleagues、uh, have have been have been have the have the background and experience and、uh, and qualifications uh, uh, such as、um, toxicology, nutritionist, um, um, uh, uh, te- te- technical、uh, work. Okay.、Um, so, do do some products face tougher regulatory barriers compared to others? Yeah, totally.、Um, like as I mentioned earlier,、um, like every product category has its unique set of Requirements,、mm. like even for food and beverage, as a general、uh, category, has、um, very different、um, categories. Like dairy products、uh, can be very different from the regulations can be very different from like、um, snacks 
and it can be very different for like health food products like dietary supplements. And just to give you an example, like for dairy products, um, it requires like um, the manufacturer to be approved by the Chinese authorities, CNCA, um, making sure that um, uh, products have the registration. Like for dietary supplements, uh, these can take the timeline can, can be quite a long time. So, so it's understanding what are the requirements really for my product? Uh, what is, what, what, what's the category of my product? How is it classified in China? And what is the regulatory roadmap to meet the requirements? And is that the same for domestic Chinese products as well? Do they fit into those same categories or, or are Western categories in their, over in their own bucket? Um, Generally speaking, um, it does apply um, um, for domestic and imported, but for certain product categories, um, there have been differences in the regulations and, mm. and how it's applied to domestic versus imported. So an example is uh, cosmetic products. Um, uh, cosmetic manufacturers um, located in China mm. uh, do not need animal testing, Okay. Um, whereas imported uh, cosmetic products need animal testing. Mm. So that just shows there are differences. Um, but generally for food and beverage, um, there is um, a national standard which um, which China sets out, which applies for both imported and domestic. Okay. Yeah. Now, now that animal testing regulation has yeah. recently changed. Is that right? Yes. Uh, um, past, actually, just uh, three, four days ago. So. Okay, so that's the at the end of May? It is a game changer in terms of um, 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 a new policy being announced for animal testing, free from animal testing. Um, but um, at the moment, the policy is still a draft. So um, it, th- there are conditions attached. But what these conditions are for the manufacturer to be certified is still unclear. So as the policy develops, um, hopefully um, we can update you further. But um, it is the right uh, step in the right direction um, for, for China. It's a long, long time coming. Yeah, yeah well, um, it, it is a long time coming, and a yeah. lot of cosmetic companies have. That's been such a trade barrier to them. What What's the motive for the regulatory change? What's What's brought the change about? Do you think? Yeah. Uh, I, actually, uh, that's that's a really good question. Um, I think China has um, has traditionally um, introduced a lot of these non non tariff barriers, um, which have been in a way to protect the local industry. Yeah. Um, and with 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 the encouraging of new policies, uh, opening up trade. Because last last year, as you as you remember, with CIE, uh, a, a big voice uh, from Xi Jinping to uh, open up trade to be the leading the leading power for globalization, where other countries have been um, um, going backwards in policy and, yep. and, and, and and encouraging and protectionist policies, mm. uh, for, like for for example in the U.S. Um, yeah, so 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 I think going forward, um, China will continue to play that role of. Um, globalization and and making policies a bit more easier to to to, to for, for companies to comply with. Okay, so that's so that's animal testing. Have there yeah. been other any other recent developments? Yes, um, uh, there have been um, one 
um, which was released in April, uh, was label filing uh, cancellation. So no longer do you need to um, file your Chinese label um, with uh, customs. Okay. So so when your products enter into China, there was a uh, currently there's a step where you have to submit your Chinese labeling okay. and your original labeling to customs at the port. So in October the first, um, this is a game changer as well in terms of you no longer have to submit that Chinese label um, at customs. Yeah. So uh, in terms of on the ground, how it helps uh, exporters is um, really. It, Increases the speed of which a clearance takes place. Okay. Um, so goods can 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 be on the shelves, uh, in the retail stores much um, much faster. So, Raymond, even though a company doesn't have to register their labeling at customs, they still need to have their labeling sorted to Chinese certification standards. What what do they need to do in in, in terms of labeling? Yes. Um, so. Chinese label is still required, although label filing is not necessary. Gotcha. Okay. And it needs, and, and although like uh, although a label might be compliant uh, to Australian labeling rules, but when it arrives into China, it needs to meet the China labeling uh, compliance situation. Mm. So, for example, um, we're helping a company uh, with uh, banana cake. Okay. And first thing, first thing we did to help them check with the labeling is uh, to understand. Um, whether their ingredients, uh, their formulation, is compliant to the China standards. So we break down, um, um, can you use this particular uh, nutritional fortifier if they've added additives? So whether the additives they've used is compliant with the China additive standard. Mm, and the okay. common problem is really um, not understanding that, oh, I need, I need a Chinese label, and it does need to comply with the China rules. And is that unique to China? Are, are there other countries that have such stringent labeling laws? Or, or are Chinese labeling laws just a little more stricter? Um, well, every country will have its uh, labeling rules, um, uh, especially like language. That's 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 the key thing. Um, so consumers being able to read the food label is is a key thing. Mm. But then China China labeling has been has been quite challenging because. Um, there are very fixed rules about how you uh, design the label. So even like the font size, um, uh, customs sometimes get their ruler out to measure oh uh, whether the font size is actually um, um, compliant to the, to the rules. So it's very, it is very key to design it according to uh, China labeling standards. And so do the Chinese authorities provide um, a template that exporters can use as a guide as to what they need to tick off in terms of being compliant? Um, yes, th there is a China labeling standard mm. um, and it does clearly state um, um, what the rules are. But of course, this is in Chinese, and but although you can get an um, English copy. But to understand practically how it applies and the interpretation of that labeling rule yeah. is sometimes quite challenging from okay. if you're sitting in, for example, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so important to work with um, um, expert partners who, who understand China labeling okay. to help you through this process. Um, so, what are some of the common mistakes that businesses make when, when entering China regarding compliance and, um, and, and regulations? Yeah, um, last year uh, around 100 Australian products had their products rejected at customs port. Mm. 
Um, the top three product categories, um, which customs um, produced the data, they released this publicly. Um, the top three categories were related to dairy products, uh, confectionery products, and beverages, including wine and honey. And you might be wondering why, um, what the non-compliant reasons, why were they rejected in mm. the first place? And actually the top reason for why is non-compliant labeling, as, 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 as we discussed earlier. Okay. Um, and another, another case, uh, the second major reason for non-compliance was actually the ingredients. Although an ingredient might be approved in Australia and um, it's okay to use in that particular formula, um, but it doesn't mean that in China that ingredient is also approved. Right. So um, it's really important to check whether your ingredients in the formula is also is also compliant and yeah. approved to use. And, and you really just need to yeah. kind of learn about your own product. You really need to kind of break down like exactly what's in there to understand how to how to um, express that to, to Chinese entities as well. Yeah, exactly. I think you make a great point there. And and sometimes, um, I'll give you an example, like a chocolate biscuit. Um, according to Chinese regulations, um, is this classified as a chocolate or is it classified as a biscuit? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and then it, it goes back to the standard. You have to look at the standard and look at the definition. How How is that standard or how is the chocolate uh, standard defined, okay. And how is the biscuit standard defined? And then you have to choose which 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 um, which is most relevant, which standard is most relevant for your particular product. And 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 so that categorization is also different to HS codes, isn't it? So when deciding is it a chocolate or is it a biscuit, a HS code is it is it is a different categorization method. Yeah, completely. Uh, HS code is is really only related to tariffs. Okay. So. It's related to when customs, uh, when you when the importer declares the HS code, how much tax you pay. But um, GB standards, which is the uh, China national standards, is completely separate from HS code. So understanding what GB standards um, are required for my product is the key question. Okay. So, so if you're an exporter and you want to know, um, um, uh, the key question to ask right now is what... GB standards, what requirements are for my products. Okay, great. Um, and, and, and what's the third? Um, what's the third? Oh, and the third no. is related to non-compliance and testing results. Okay. So when the products arrive into China port, they, they get tested by uh, China Customs. They send the, they randomly uh, pick some samples and then send it to the third party uh, labs. And um, a common issue is if it's a high risk product, um, sometimes uh, the testing methodology in Australia or in other countries might be different um, to those testing methodologies in China, what in the China labs. What, what could be a high-risk product? Um, so, for example, like dairy products. Uh, okay. And if your testing limit is just bordering the limit in, in China, so, uh, you, might want to you, you might want to test in China um, just to make sure that you have the confidence... Um, um, that the testing results will pass. Mm. Yeah, because as you know, if the testing methodology is different, then the results can also be slightly different. So, 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 so do you mean sending a, a pilot shipment over to see that that gets through customs and then if that succeeds the testing, then you can start sending larger shipments over? Yeah, um, that, that is definitely um, a very good suggestion. Uh, um, 
um, before you export containers of products, um, for your first time import, you should definitely send a pilot shipment, a small batch of products, just so that it goes through the customs uh, system. Okay. And after you've gone through and, 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 uh, and passed customs clearance, then you have that confidence that you can send larger shipments. And so customs keeps record of uh, successful testing. So if you, if you do pass it at the port in Shanghai, for example, then it no longer requires future testing. Is that correct? Um, it will still require testing. Okay. Uh, um, and different ports, um, that's a very good question. Um, um, we had clients where they've exported to one port, for example, in Shanghai, and then they've changed the distributor for whatever reason yep. they've um, decided to change ports. Um, and one client changed from Shanghai and exported to Tianjin. They found that their products got stuck by customs, and that was because um, the customs official had different interpretation of the GB standard, the, the standards. And right. because the way the standards are designed in China, they're, they're uh, general at, some, at, at certain points, um, they're ambiguous. So it opens to interpretation from different ports. Okay. And at this point, you want to be, if your products are stopped uh, due to this situation, you want to, to stay calm <laughs> and you want to um, be polite to customs, mm. um, uh, not, not to be rude. Um, to, and they, they, they will listen if there is evidence to support your, your argument. So you have to go back to the GB standards um, and to explain to them, okay, uh, this product is according to this standard. And um, in some cases, they will listen and then um, it's no problem. And so how would that consultation occur? Would that be a phone call or would that be the business actually coming to the port or would that be through a, th a third party like Accestra? Yeah, so um, it wouldn't be the exporter all the way in Australia. It would be uh, with the importer. Oh, of course. Okay. And then working with third parties to facilitate um, the, the communication um, between the importer and the third party and the exporter. So it'd be like a triangle. Okay. Um, and it will be essentially the importer that will communicate with um, the, the customs official because they're the people on the ground. Okay. So Raymond, you mentioned before that there were around 100 cases of Australian products not getting through China customs. How does that compare against uh, Australia's international competitors over here, such as, you know, the USA or New Zealand? Um, so... Uh, Australia, uh, compared to the US, um, uh, much better. Well, US, there's around 150 cases. Mm. Um, Japan, uh, over 100 cases. Um, Taiwan, 151. So Australia, comparatively, um, is, is on the same level, um, but it could be improved. Yeah, so okay. making sure that the Australian exporters are uh, equipped with the knowledge that regulation is important and not to entirely rely on the importer on regulation to also do your own homework. A lot of the importers, they will say, yes, 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 I can solve this regulation, no problem. But actually, a lot of the importers are not expertised and um, specialised in regulation. Okay. So sometimes they do get it wrong. And when they rely on the importer c completely, then uh, once the shipment arrives into China, then... Once there's a problem with customs, who's responsible then? Where's the liability from? And then there'll be a lot of uh, 
you know, arguments and negotiation there. So it's important to, for, the, for the export to step back first and understand what the compliance requirements are for my, for my product. They don't have to be experts, yeah. but um, it's important to actually at least understand what the basic requirements are. And obviously have, have, have really good communication with your, with your buyer or your importer yeah. or, or your distributor, whoever that may be. Yes. Um, so going back to that statistic about 100 cases for Australia and 150 for the USA, um, surely there's a lot more mass coming from the USA than Australia. Look, would, would you say that's a high number for Australia comparatively based on import mass? Um, so actually for, for US, um, the product categories are, are very different. Um, uh, they export a lot of soybean and... and um, a majority of their products uh, are related to agri agri products, mm. whereas Australia, um, you know, as I mentioned about the top three categories, there's a lot of confectionery products like biscuits, chocolate, like your Tim Tams and your cereal from uh, wheat bix and sanitarium. So, so there are a lot of uh, a wider mix, and not to mention that also wine as well. Yes, I think. Australia uh, exporters can really uh, improve and step up their game on, in terms of uh, understanding the requirements a bit more. Uh, exporters typically given a reason for why their product can't get through. Are there cases where the, the Chinese customs doesn't give a reason? Yes, uh, there will always be a reason. Okay. Um, but how clear and how clarified okay. is another question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so if, if it is a labelling issue, then they will say it's a labelling issue. Um, but then it's very key to communicate with customs where is the problem okay. so that you can then uh, understand whether this is solvable and then take the actions necessary to, to make sure it's um, uh, solved. Whereas um, there are cases where if it's a testing result, um, if they send it to the, um, the testing laboratory and then they find out, okay, it's exceeded the testing limits, then it's very clear um, that if it is, if the testing results have exceeded the, the testing limits, then it's, it, it's really clear that um, the products cannot come in. Okay. And there is one case where if it's close to the limit, then maybe perhaps you can ask for a retest. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that can be applied. So, so um, you can also ask. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, moving on to IP, um, it, obviously it's imperative that Australian exporters register their IP before they even enter the market. But, but what does that mean, registering IP? Is that, is that registering the copyright, the logo, the trademark? What's the, like, what's the most essential aspect of that IP registration that's required? Yeah. The, most, the most essential part um, depends on which industry. So, of course, if it's uh, uh, medicine, then it would be a lot of the patenting. And if, but for general food uh, and beverage um, exporters, the very key thing to register is the trademark, the logo, uh, the brand of, 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 of what the company represents. So making sure that you do register the brand is very important. Now, the need for doing that is that there is significant IP theft in China and there's a lot of bad faith filings. How, how professional is this industry in China these days? It is very professional. Okay. It is a business. And there are, there's a terminology called trademark squatters. And um, the trademark squatters, um, they target 
companies um, from all over the world, and they go to expos, mm. and then they get the camera out to take pictures of uh, different brands that they think that may not have registered their products, mm. and then they just go register. And because China is a first-to-file system yep. for trademarks, um, so it's very key that you register your product, uh, you register your brand before you go on trade shows, before you go on exhibitions uh, to display your products. Could those IP squatters also go to Australia and go to trade shows in Australia and, <laughs> and steal those? Well, I can't see why not, but um, I, I think that the, 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 the target really is if companies are so interested in China, yeah. they'll probably target the ones who... Um, are willing to spend the money to have uh, uh, exhibit uh, and, and put a stand in, in, in the in, in the com- in the uh, expo. Okay. So, um, really, it, I, I've had one case um, <laughs> um, where whereby a honey company they they had this issue where they um, they didn't register their trademark before exhibiting, and unfortunately. Um, the the importer which which um, they negotiated they registered their trademark before before them, and what happened there was um, the the importer uh, relationship fell through with the exporter, and then they tried to sell that trademark to um, to, to to the exporter. Oh really? So they took the trade so, trademark hostage. Yeah, essentially. So, so it is almost a trademark hostage, oh, and, and they, they 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 wanted money for for that trademark. Oh, okay. So so don't make that mistake. Um, yeah. And you, I think you're probably asking about trademark costs. It is actually not not expensive at all. Mm. You can trademark register for for less than a thousand dollars. Now Raymond, you were at um, CL, which is uh, China's prominent um, food and beverage trade show that takes place here in Shanghai every May. How was CL this year? Yeah, CL, CL was, uh, was, was, was good. A uh, lot of interesting companies and, and new products out there. And it's, I can see every year it's getting more competitive. Um, a lot of the um, companies selling the same story. Um, but I've seen a dramatic um, um, decrease in some countries uh, exhibiting. Mm. Um, we was in a joined the trade delegation for the USDA. Um, we we did uh, a session for sharing about the regulations, and compared to last year, the exhibitors almost halved. Really? And yes, uh, and and that 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 just demonstrates the the impact it, you know it's having on U.S. exporters. I spoke to a few U.S. exporters and. And their message was really they're delaying the decisions um, until things have been more cl- uh, things more clarified in terms of the trade war. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, and it is really an additional twenty five percent tariff uh, for food manufacturers is a big impact. Um, I mean, the the food manufacturer margins are already very slim, so that additional twenty five percent is really. Um, really impactful, really uh, yeah, wipes all their margins. Um, now, at the risk of sounding opportunistic, has, has, has this benefited Australian products? Are there any industries where Australia has benefited from um, America stepping back on a few products into China? For different categories of products, uh, yes, uh, especially meat, Okay. Yeah. wine, because wine... Um, 
I think they're paying like um, around seventy percent tariff, whereas the U. Uh, whereas Australia, they're they're paying next to nothing because of the chapter, and also meat is a very big impact. Yeah. So. I can see that with less uh, competition uh, from from the U.S., uh, uh, Australia will will essentially benefit from this, and mm. and a clear beneficiary also um, is South America with with their soybeans and right, and, okay, uh, yeah, another 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 agri products. Yeah. Oh well, it's fascinating to hear how that how that really impacts on the ground. I guess people hear about tariffs and trade war in the news and this geopolitical stash between America and China. But, I mean, it's obviously having an impact on the ground. It's fascinating. Um, So, Raymond, how important is innovation with uh, companies tinkering with their products when entering the China market? Very important. You you really need to understand the China market and you need to understand the target consumer. An example of this um, was a client was serving um, Treasury Wine Estates um, with their Penfold product. They had a product which was typically quite a conventional red wine product, but how, how they, they came up with a new idea of combining the red wine with Baijiu. Oh, okay. So it was a very interesting mix, and from a regulation point of view, innovative products, you really need to understand the balance between innovation and how to balance that with the regulation. So going back to check whether such a product um, complies with the standards. So we helped them with the compliance and making sure that this new formulation would be um, would have market access and complies with, with the China requirements. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's fascinating. So Raymond, what tips do you have for businesses making their first entry into the China market? How can they best prepare themselves? Finding um, a qualified importer um, really makes life easier for for exporters. Really partnering with local and reliable stakeholders Mm. uh, to help you through the journey who can hold your hand and support you and guide you through. Um, And one way to um, check whether your importer is qualified um, is there is a custom, customs introduced a credit management system to um, to outline the importer's track record in terms of importing and whether they've had any violations before. Mm, okay. And this website, uh, which where you can check the credit rating of the importer, um, the rating is uh, in five uh, five grades. There is double A, which is the best rating, and if you have if your importer has double A, meaning um, there are customs will treat will give them special preferential treatment so that means goods will be cleared much quicker oh, right. uh, okay. less testing items yeah. um, so uh, whereas if your importer is a D rating then that's obviously a bad sign um, they've had much more violations um, in terms of importing uh, so customs will then accordingly um, you know, check more stringently on the uh, when the products arrive at the port. Maybe test more items, which take uh, longer uh, to clear your products and onto the shelves. Excellent. Okay. Well, Raymond, thank you so much for dropping by to the podcast. So much relevant information in such a constantly evolving world of China compliance, customs, and and regulations. So thanks a lot for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much, James. <laughs> My thanks to Raymond for sharing his experience, tips and insights. Accessory Consulting provides China regulatory and market access advisory for the FNB, cosmetics, pharmaceutical and chemical industries. 
previous clients include Treasury Wine Estates, A2 Milk, Sanitarium, PepsiCo, Med Johnson, Metro Supermarket, Carrefour, Ikea, Costco, Alibaba and others. For more from our podcast, please drop by to the podcast homepage at acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts where you can find show notes from all our previous episodes. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and help us to continue to grow our listenership. Thanks also to Austrade for their support of this new podcast series. This activity received funding from Austrade as part of the Free Trade Agreement Market Entry Grant Program. The views expressed herein are not necessarily the views of the Commonwealth of Australia and the Commonwealth does not accept responsibility for any information or advice contained herein. That's it for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening and until next time, Zai Jian.